John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. It's famous. Where it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. I need an example of cried out. That is not what Jesus sounded like. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him uh, were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some biblical images are attractive, and some of them are actually, I find, disgusting. So the idea of lakes of fire uh, just doesn't do it for me. Um, Phil Harmon and his Valley of Dry Bones, I find macabre. That's not Phil Harmon, but the Valley of Dry Bones. They, some of the biblical images are quite odd, aren't they? But I, I would have to say, I find this image quite attractive. And I hope that you do. I think most people would like their heart to be like a a deep mountain spring overflowing uh, with rivers of living water. And even before we have a clear idea of what this image is referring to, you sort of saying, yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that to be me. You might even think, I would even yearn for that to be me. Because it sort of tells us about refreshing or coolness or enjoyment or growth or even life to the point of overflowing and bursting. Bursting out with life. From this perspective where I am here, I'm just looking upon a bunch of people who are bursting with life. I lie, Denzel. But Jesus is not merely a poet trying to evoke in us emotional images. I believe there is more in what we read here than just an image. These are very evocative words and actually refer to something real, something true that we can find. This is not an emotional image, as has been said to me in the past, uh, and I've read this. This is just an emotional image of, of what it you know, is like to, to know Jesus. This actually is not an image to, to scorn at. This is how it is meant to be. This is a description of what we are meant to be. This is us. This is solid. This is powerful. This is living. This is me. This is you. Oh, somebody's there. And Jesus is offering an incredible, fulfilling experience to everyone that comes to him. It's personal because he says this. This is between me and you. This is from me to you. It is a wonderful gift. This is something to enjoy. It's not a mere image. This is fun, guys. Absolute fun. And Jesus wants us to catch this image. He wants us to know that he is as real in this image as the person sitting next to you in the chair. Please check the person sitting in the chair next to you is alive. Okay, could the ministry team that that are responsible for raising those from the dead please go to the people that didn't respond at that point? Now, I want to just say, I actually think that we are chasers of experience. And and I think that often that has been laid at the charismatic um, sort of church, that we are chasers of experience. And I I want to say that, you know, some... Uh, experiences are not good, some are sinful, uh, and some are for pleasure, and many are for the wrong reasons, because what we want to do is experience something that makes us good. But here is a biblical experience that Jesus wants 
uh, just to have the, it outstrips all other experiences. This experience is essential. But you know, experiences can slip through our fingers and disappear if our main experience that we are not pursuing is Jesus. We, our experience should be of this one man. And I can do that. So when we're thinking of this text, we must talk about experience because it is. But we also need to say that all other experiences will be vain if Jesus does not shine through as your greatest experience. So, let's go through the passage. The Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. The feast that's referred to in verse 37 is the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. There's nothing like a Christian and a booth. We learn that it's in chapter 7, verse 2. And according to verse 14, Jesus had gone up to the temple. It was about the middle of the feast, and he'd been involved in teaching as part of that feast. And now we get to the last day of the feast. Apparently, it's a great day. And he stands up and he shouts out the words in our text. Now, the origin of the feast in Levitic- is found in Leviticus 23, where Moses says this, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. This is, this is a biblical reason for caravans, by the way. This is, the, this, is, this is why Denzel does what he does. He hooks up a booth on the, back of his gar- on the back of his car, and he goes, and he dwells for seven days. The problem is that when Denzel gets to the other place in his booth on the back of the car, he does unbiblical things. I read on. All the native Israelites shall dwell in booths on the back of Denzel's car, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt because I am the Lord your God. So you see, Denzel does half of it, not the full part of it. See, what happened is that that God ordained his people. uh, He sort of said, look, I want you to bring to mind in yearly feasts the great things that I have done for you when I delivered you out of bondage uh, from Egypt. And God's purpose in bringing them out of Egypt was to do several things. One was to show his power, another his love and his grace and his mercy. And the point of it all was that they would be a people that would demonstrate that they worship this one God. We worship him and him alone. We trust him. We obey him. And the feast of the, uh, the feast of booths reminded the people of their bondage, their trek through the wilderness, and how God in the wilderness provided miraculously for, for all that they had, and that they arrived in the promised land. This is what it was about. We're remembering not only what God did, but who God is. We ought to bring it back, haven't we? One of the needs that God provided uh, was water. These were a people that were wandering through the wilderness. One of the needs that God provided me with was water this morning. I abused his water, kicking it everywhere. And the needs in the, were met in Exodus chapter 17. Moses uh, tells uh, how the people, uh, soon after their escape from Egypt, moved south through the wilderness of Sin and camped to Rephidim. And uh, there was no water there. And instead of trusting this God, who had worked incredible miracles at this point, they were like all of us. The, you know, well, that was yesterday's miracle. That's what happened yesterday, you know. Not sure about God, and they get grumpy and they say, Well, there's no water here. It's extraordinary, isn't it? God can divide water, but He can't provide a drop. Come on, guys, get it in line. And so it says, The, th- the people thirst for water, and they murmured against Moses. See, it's always the pastor's fault. 
I want you to know this. It's never yours. Let's just get this straight from the beginning. It's always mine. Just live like that. That's fine. Just get it into mind. It's always Moses' fault. So I want you to be released from all responsibility. Just please feel the grace of God upon you right now. It's not your fault. It's mine. So Moses did what only a a good pastor can do. He cried out to the Lord. I, I imagine it like this. He must have put his head on a rock and cried out to the Lord. And suddenly, now, a water bursts from the rock. A life-giving water would come out to cause the people to what? Live. Now, we arrive. And Jesus said, now, out of your hearts will burst out a water which will cause you to live. Wonderful image. Out of your heart. Not out of a rock. Out of your own heart it will come. Now carrying on. Jesus fulfills actually all the Old Testament expectations. On the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up, remind ourselves, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, whether the people grasp the significance of this or not, we don't know. But certainly Jesus did. He saw himself as the fulfillment of all the feasts that had gone before, all the Jewish feasts. He was a fulfillment in the fact that he was the saving power. He was the provider. It was him where grace would come from. It was him where mercy would come from. He was that person standing in front of them. And, and what had happened is that the Jews had celebrated uh, present, uh, 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 had celebrated this over many years. Now, the person who would be the fulfillment of every feast, of every piece of history, was now standing in front of them. And what they celebrated on rare occasions throughout the year was standing right in front of them. No longer do you have to do this once a year over these period of times. The fulfillment of everything that you have celebrated is right nose to nose to you. And they missed it. (laughs) And yet they as a people had been longing for a saviour. They had wanted the arrival of the kingdom of God. And these feasts had kept alive that longing for Jesus to come. And he's saying, the feasts can go. I am the fulfillment of all these things and I'm in front of you. The day that you have longed for is here. The kingdom has come. The waiting, guys, is over. There are some wonderful scriptures that sort of pass people by. And you read them and you think, you want to go back in a little bit of time, don't you? And just go, you miss that. You know, that's, but I think that I probably, and you probably, would also miss it. I think that's the nature of the Bible, that we are, the, we are living in it, not just reading it. It is us in it. We're reading about ourselves. So Jesus says this, he said, the time's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is, hand, is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel that, that, uh, that Peter magnificently brought to us. So look, it's here. I'm here. How about this one? The disciples uh, told uh, the disciple Jesus told the disciples of John that the bridegroom was here. Do you remember this? He said the disciples of John came to him saying, "Why do we and the Pharisees fast, and your disciples do not fast?" And Jesus said to them, "Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them." And they will then fast. Come on, guys. Party. I'm here. Come on. I'm standing in front of you. Let's enjoy this time together. See, everything in the Old Testament points forward to this time of fulfillment. Jesus is that fulfillment. So here's some examples again in John's Gospel. The tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple. uh, They were the places where people met with God. Where people worshipped God. 
It was, it was ornate and, and incredible in its, its practices. You would have uh, known if you were processing up towards the temple because there would have been this great noise of people processing towards the temple. When you'd have got there, it would have been an incredible building. Then in John 1, chapter 14, it says, The Word became flesh and tented or tabernacled amongst us. What was happening there on these rare occasions? Now, the tabernacle is in front of us. That's extraordinary. All that history, all that glory, all that majesty is standing right now, toe-to-toe with you. And they sort of went, huh? It's, it's, you just think, come on, guys. Then you see um, chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus referring to his own body, but, al- but alluding to, to the temple in Jerusalem. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. What, that one? And of course, we get this theological debate. Yes, in the end times, that's this. Now, Jesus is talking about himself. He said, he said Look, that's the end of that one. The temple is gone. The temple is in front of you. And it will be, it will be uh, smashed. And in three days, it will be raised up. It's the end of that one. Now, this one is here. Amazing. Another example, John 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, that, so the Son of Man might be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He was actually standing in front of him saying, hey guys, your health, your hope, your salvation was offered through Old Testament ceremonies, symbols and odd ways is now in, found in me and through the death of me. Everything was a foreshadow of what has come. Now, the shadows are clear. You can be swallowed up in my light. Wow. John chapter 6. Jesus asks for a sign like Moses. Sorry, the John chapter 6. The Jews ask Jesus for a sign like Moses. They, they want something like happened to them. Please give me something that happened to the guys in the wilderness. That's what they want. Basically, what they're after is a bit of manna. That's what they want. They want to walk along the road and go, here he comes, ba-boom. What hit me? Manna, quails. That's what they're after. To that and it's true, isn't it? What, what I want is that I want their experience. Now, God's got an experience for it. Don't pursue their experience. Pursue what God wants to do for you in this generation. God's got something of extraordinary stature for you in this generation. But these guys, no, we want something of the past. I mean, it's great reading revival books, but don't they frustrate you? You want to go, I want, it's great what you did, Lord, but come on, Lord, now do it in my day, in, in, in your way, in my day. That's what I get. And so, where was I? So, and of course, they're, they're after this manner stuff, you know, wanted to drop down on my head, you know, basket, there's one. Here's another. And he turns to them and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread for heaven. Full stop. I am the bread of life. You would think, get it. Get it. I can feel, he who comes to me will not hunger. And you'd think, stampede, wouldn't you? Get him, Again and again and again and again. Uh, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament by offering himself as more than the grace that God gave in the Old Testament. More than. So when we hear Jesus cry out on the Feast of the Booths, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, we understand him to mean, if you are thirsty for God, If you are actually looking, guys, standing in front of them for the consolation of Israel, if you're looking for the kingdom to come, if you're looking for deliverance from sin and oppression, you don't have to look to any other person than me. I am the sum of it. In me, all the past is summed up. In me, all the future is found. If anyone comes to me, and drink. And it is important to know from whom we drink. We drink from Jesus. 
He is the one that comes to us. And it's important to know that. You see, all the drinking in the world will not satisfy us unless we have got a grasp from what we are drinking, not just from whom we are drinking. So when I'm drinking from Jesus, I am involved in drinking in eternity. A historical magnitude of Jesus Christ becomes my fountain head. The water that he gives will taste bland unless you have a Jesus of enormous biblical proportions that you drink in. Look, who am I drinking in? I'm drinking the one who has dominated all history from eternity and will dominate all history to come in. That's who I'm taking into myself. As soon as I do that, I get a perspective on life, don't I? If I drink that in, suddenly life fits into eternity. If I'm drinking from from eternal perfect grace, I'm drinking him from somebody, suddenly grace comes. I get a perspective of who I am in Christ from an eternal perspective. That works with love and power and mercy and majesty and glory. If I'm drinking in from this Jesus, all these come things come into me and suddenly eternity is bursting into this strange human form called Nigel Lloyd. And that's the problem. The problem is we drink in from a little Jesus. That's what happens. And do you know what? The little Jesus cannot do what he wants to do with him. It's not so, what are those little toys that you, those what do you call those little plastic things? Playmobil toys. I always think that's the way that it works. That actually people's perspective of Jesus is like a little Playmobil thing. Sylvanians. Miniature sort of animals. I, I sort of he's like this little thing that is on my shoulder and, and I love I love the little form of Jesus. Isn't it lovely? No, come on. If Jesus is in us, eternity and history and glory and majesty and power are within us. When that's within you, do you not burst out of streams of living water? Don't you? It ought to be coming out your ears, your nose, and all other orifices that I can't mention from a pulpit. It just should, shouldn't it? And here is this thing. He invites me to drink him in. I think that's amazing. Come and and take me into you. It's an extraordinary invitation. Come and have eternity in you. Got it? No, not yet. Look, Look, guys, let's just put this in. Let's do this eternity doesn't fit in you all right eternity should if eternity came and lived with you right now you would be a blob of atoms strewn over the face of Wrexham we would be we would be sweeping you up for days it's true isn't it think about it Think of the person that made heaven and earth come. He wants to come and drink you that in. You can't do it. Isn't that grace? No, it's just, it's all right, Nige. Sounds all right. My best Midland accent is not convincing you, is it? Okay, one condition though, you need to be thirsty. If anyone thirsts, let him come. The invitation is universal and it's conditional. Means there's no ethnic, no intellectual, no social qualifications for drinking from Jesus' fountain. You can all come. Sometimes you long to be back into Pentecostal days, don't you? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the invitation goes out. You know, everyone in this room has got a personal invitation to come to Jesus and drink. Every one of you. That's because eternity is so huge. You can drink as much as you want, guys. You'll, you'll never, the, the fountain will never run dry. There's only one condition. You have to be very thirsty. That's a real check on your heart right now, on my heart. You have to be thirsty. 
You see, I think that we generally are thirsty, but not all have a thirst for Jesus. But we are the only species in God's creation that is both afflicted and blessed, actually, with a chronic longing. I've noticed this. Please excuse these illustrations. They are simple. I've noticed that dolphins don't thirst for much. They just seem to enjoy life, don't they? Messing about in the sea. I've noticed sometimes dogs get in the most strangest positions in the sun, don't they? Leg in the air and, you know, that sort of stuff. They don't seem to want for that much. We have a cat called Sophie Cat. Sophie Cat has a tail, as all cats do. And at, in Sainsbury's, you can buy some cat treats. They're £1.19 for a pack of 10. You may buy Sophie Cat said treats and give them to me. If I walk out of the kitchen with said treat, Sophie Cat's tail expands. She jumps on my lap. And with amazing purrs, she is contented to the point of dying as I feed these cat treats in. I have wondered, when I was young, we used to have a pond around the corner for us. The the council levelled it, filled it in. It was dangerous. David Joyce and I used to go and sit on it, sit by the side of it. We used to catch newts and, do you remember those days, and bring them home and then your mum would take them back (laughs) at night. Um, We used to, we used to, excuse me, throw big bricks at frogs on lilies. Do you remember? (laughs) 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 It's, it, it was the sin of man. One of the things that I noticed is that they, I, I can remember Dave Joyce saying to me, do you know, he might be doing my Midland accent, he said, you know, Noige, these frogs look happier than we are. <laughs> it's, and you think, yeah, it's true. Actually, underneath, man is not content. He actually is afflicted with a sort of chronic restlessness within him. Everything that we set our hands on goes old. Did it? It just does. We, we fight, don't we? Uh, without success, with, a, about, with an epidemic that sweeps through of our nation, which is that we are constantly bored. I've never heard so many people say, I am bored. It's just an extraordinary thing that sweeps through young people and anybody. We go after fad, after fad, after fad, fashion after fashion, challenge after challenge, and still we are thirsty in the end. I had extraordinary, Kelly and I had an extraordinary day out with um, three Filipino girls. This is the last time they will appear in my sermons. And they were talking about, they were talking about, um, uh, we were talking about the, the way that Brits go on holiday. And I, and I sort of said, the way that it goes on, we go on holiday is that we go to somewhere hot and we sort of, we, what we do is that, well, come over here. We, we sort of, you know, we take off all our clothes, don't we? It, it, and Cully doesn't, but I do. No, it's just... <laughs> and, and then we sort of lie in the strangest positions that we can, because we've got to get the brown and we, we contort in all these incredible positions to look brown. And, and we fail. I've failed sometimes when I've not put the suntan cream in the wrong position. And suddenly I'm walking around with a white patch. And you're going, no, white patch, white patch, white patch. And you're going like this. And then we're sitting there and they're looking at me going, with puzzles on their faces. And we go, what's the matter? And they say, that's really strange. Because in, in the Philippines, we have whitening cream we go on holiday and we put on whitening cream and Kelly going whitening cream <laughs> because and we're going we spend our lives trying to look like you and they go we spend our lives trying to look like you we're going to do a nation swap and just do all this and you think we are never ever content are we if we look at this I just couldn't believe it and you just think no and it's true isn't it Because many of us will say something like this. We'll say, if only I had a wife like this. If only I had a husband like this. 
If only this job wasn't like this job is. If only our house wasn't like it is. If I could just change my car. If I didn't live in this particular area. If I didn't look like this. If I had this amount of money. If I went to this church, that would change. We can see this in the pursuit in just sex and drugs and alcohol. We are a nation of people who are trying to escape from the reality of who we are. We are a people who live in permanent disappointment with who we are and what we have. It is a chronic restlessness, an insatiable soul thirst for this reason. Why are you like that? I want to suggest to you, it's a God thing. For this reason, that you might keep looking until that you have found the one who can bring you the most satisfaction in life. Every marriage breakdown, every heartbreak that you have been through, every pain that you have faced, is because you are on a journey with yourself to discover that Jesus is in all, through all, and all for you. That's what it's all about. It isn't that you are disappointed. It's that you haven't found yet the thing that can bring you the most fulfillment. You see, in him, we have to turn back time and time again. I think that our taste buds get bitter. We are made for God. Our souls are made so that we would enjoy God. The taste buds of our soul have been designed and made so that we would enjoy him, Jesus. And it's true. Because I can say this, if I can, to to my daughter and my future son-in-law. You may have a, a future husband and you may have a future wife. But if that's all that you live for, you will be disappointed. Amen? Old guys and girls, it's true. If Jesus is not your in all and through all and for all, your marriage will be under pressure. We know that. Our marriage is most under pressure when Jesus is not number one. It's true. Sorry guys, speak on you. Guys, that's true of you all. It's true of us all. You see, our sinful nature messes up our spiritual taste buds and we try and think we can find our thirst in something else. And the prerequisite of him coming back to him and finding it is this sense of, no, I thirst for Jesus. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he does not understand because they're, because they're spiritually discerned. Now the unspiritual man, uh, as a believer, delights in the drawing near to God for worship. He likes to pray, likes to get into the word. And people think he's a fool or a hypocrite. But he can't imagine. He can't imagine that any of those things can be a delight. And yet they are. He has no thirst for Jesus. And that's the incredible thing. So why, Christians, are we reverting back to our previous state when that is the road that we have come from? God is gracious. He frustrates the human race time and time again. He does it so that we might find Jesus Every flower that dies, every gold cup that tarnishes, every muscle that I have that has sagged, every wrinkle that I've occurred, every sexual exploit in the world that has gone sour, every sin that has stung us. It's because he is teaching us that he wants us for himself. It's what it's all about. You cannot find satisfaction without finding it in me. And in me, he offers to heal 
our taste buds, to do surgery upon us so that we can thirst and be satisfied. A thirst for God. Don't let it die. Don't let it die. Let nothing stand in your way. Are you, do you have this one condition that sets you apart in your life? I eagerly desire what Jesus has to offer above everything else. Above everything else. The very last chapter of the Bible leaves this invitation ringing in our ears. The Spirit and the Bride say come. And let him, him who hears say come. And let him who is thirsty come. Let him who desires take the water of life without price. You don't need money. You don't need a moral track record. You don't need a performance record. You need to desire. You need to say, no, you are all that I want. You are all that I will ever need. You have to settle it in your heart. Is that statement settled in your heart? If it isn't settled in your heart, then there will be pastoral problems along the way, guys. It's true. It's just a warning, but we need to cheer it up. So, let's assume then that you have settled it in your heart and uh, that you are all very thirsty for Jesus. What does that mean? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Because Jesus is not with us in a visible and tangible way. Therefore, he can't be approached geographically um, he, as he could when he was on earth. Coming to, to Jesus must be an act, firstly, of your heart, then of faith. I'm going to believe. Uh, it's one of your heart. You settle that in your heart and you, you're going to believe. It's sort of like... Oh, it's sort of like the day before Christmas when you've got the kids. Is this how it is with you, with Jesus? That's the sort of thing. You know, what is this soul drinking? You know, sometimes you hear people say that we stand before scenes of beauty that, and we say, I'm just standing here because I'm going to drink this in for a while. That's the way that you do it. We'll change the metaphor sometimes. You stand before something of extraordinary beauty and you say, I'm just going to let my, I'm just going to feast my eyes on it for a while. I'm going to do, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put myself in a position to behold the beauty of what is standing in front of me. I, I want this thing that I'm looking at to affect me. I'm going to linger about it. When I've lingered here, I'm going to get back and I'm going to tell Rupert about where, where I've been. I, I'm going to share about it. I'm going to affirm its worth. I don't want to move on until I've got it all in me in what I have seen. I had the privilege once of standing um, at, uh, at Niagara Falls and I was stuck. Because the only falls that I've ever seen are the little tiddly ones that happen in Wales. You know, those, you know, I've never seen such a thing. And we, we came on one of these buses that you buy a pass and you arrive. And when you're on the bus, some people that are all going, yeah, we've been there. And, and, and you're on the bus and you can hear this colossal noise. Well, I'm just a guy from Willingall, guys. You know, I you know, Canada is just something, you know. And, and I must admit, I stood there and, I, I, and my cousin was with me. Lived in, uh, and she said, what do you think? And I sort of went, I mean, how do you answer such things? You know, I'm from, you know, we're outside toilets. I mean, what, how can I assess this? And I, I sort of went, huh. And I, because I could not, I could not comprehend what I was looking at. And in that sense, that is the way in which we drink something is. So it is with Jesus. We, we have to put ourselves in a position to behold him clearly. We need to linger with him. We need to allow ourselves time to be affected by him. You know, here's the question. This is the wriggle moment. You have to be in the word to linger with him. No lingering time. Playmobil. It's true. I cannot help you any more than doing this. Linger with Jesus in the word. Listen 
two sermons, not mine. There's people better than me. Get yourself lingering in the Word. <coughs> Sylvanian Jesus. Come on, guys, worship and pray and spend time. If you don't behold the beauty, you can't expect to get the rewards back. You just can't. This is what Jesus said about what he says about himself. He said, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. If you're not into the words, you won't get the spirit and the life. You're just trying to do it. It's like a McDonald's. You know, Sunday becomes driving. It's the way that it is. You know, driving. Okay, what can I have? A bit of Phil Harmon, a bit of Steve, a bit of Nigel. Out there. And that's it, you know. And what have you found with McDonald's? You always want another one five minutes later because they don't fill you up, do they really? It's, it's, it is. We have driving church. Forget driving church. We need to linger with Jesus. It needs to come. He needs, we need to come and drink all that is. We need to not dispute his beauty. It's a read and thing. Struth. Do you do that, you know? This is, hate Leviticus. Come on, guys. Jesus wants you to go, Struth. Struth. That's what he wants. He wants you to look at it and go, This is wonderful. You know, it's not, I mean, it's this business, isn't it? The word of God, it's hard work. It's your head, man. It cannot be. This is life. It's life. It's living. It's active. It's you, not it. This stuff can make you go, poor. If only you, you know what the problem is? That you don't gaze enough, guys. And then you want it all to work for you. That's what you want. You know, you want to go to McDonald's and come away with a little party bag. Hey, went to church, got a party bag. No, come on. We've got to linger and enjoy. We've got to engage in worship. Now, what the frustrating thing was, I missed four songs because I mucked up a glass of water. I walked back and wash it went everywhere. I was pumping it up for ages. Now, the, we, we sort of, you've got to get in. As soon as you worship, you've got to get in there, engage in it. Shut your eyes, stand up, raise your hands. You've got to get involved in it. Do you not stand at the foot of waterfalls and think, must dive, must dive? Do you not do that sort of thing? It's true, and you want to get into it. And what do we want to do in worship? We want to, oh, that's... It's, I mean, you cannot get out anything unless you put something in it. That's what, the, what drinking is. Drinking is, I will drink it in. So the reason that you've gone not blessed is not Phil Harmon. It is you and me. He who believes. Dorothy, I'm just moving on to the next heading, so you might need to give Dorothy a because I'm missing a bit out. The difference between John 63 and our text, 60, uh, 35, is this. Is that uh, there is a difference in it. And one thing is that uh, it says, come and drink in verse 37. He said, he who believes in me, in verse 35, in him shall never thirst. And what I want to just suggest to you is that often what we, what we get stuck with is that we think that our Christian life is what I can describe as a receptacle and not a fountain and not a river. That actually we are to be receivers. This is a receiving meeting. Do you, have you been to them? You've been to them, haven't you? Oh, yeah, this is a receiving meeting. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it, nothing ever changed. Look, this is not the way that we were designed to be. We, we are not just receivers of the Spirit. We are receivers of the Spirit, but we're receivers of the Spirit because out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. That's what meeting with the Spirit is about. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart shall flow living waters. The promise is, yes, that you'll be satisfied. The promise is that you will be, but also that you yourself will be satisfying to others. We are not merely receptacles. 
And I, I sometimes feel that we build church as a receptacle church. It's all about what I can get from it. In all honesty, that can be like that. The Purina didn't get much from it this morning, Pastor. Okay. That's because you're not supposed to. The, the soul thirst of us should be that Jesus, by his Spirit, flows into us and flows out of us like a river full of life. You see, the problem is, if we are just receiving people, our hearts will become stagnant ponds. We just get older together, having a laugh, really. And I don't want any of you to become... It means that God has placed his spirit in you because he has got something that he wants to give to someone else. Isn't that extraordinary? Verse 39, and to conclude. Now this is what he said about the Spirit, to whom those who believed in him were to receive, as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. There's an experience of the Spirit that could not be enjoyed until Jesus had died, till he had dealt with our sin, till he'd been raised over, over death, till he'd ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory. And that is namely, there's an experience of an empowering of the spirit of the glorified, risen Jesus Christ that comes upon us. It is our Pentecost. It is our baptism in the spirit. And this is what is on offer. So the empowering of the spirit comes upon us. What we've looked at today in all its essence in regard to Jesus is what the spirit does. Because when the spirit comes upon us, he glorifies Jesus. That's the way that it works. It's exactly what happens. So we behold his beauty. The more the spirit comes upon us, we behold his magic. We get an eternal perspective. It's all about Jesus as we are filled. And it goes out. The imagery is clear. Let me bring you two scriptures and a story to finish with. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Remember that? Straight into Acts. When you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, out of you will flow rivers of living water. You will go and what? You will be my witnesses. You will, what is a witness? He tells people about the wonder and the glory and the beauty of Jesus. It's a work of the Spirit. Now I want to uh, finish with a story. Uh, Phil, uh, this is uh, uh, Mrs. Harmon, if you're listening. Uh, this will be a book that Phil and I read a long, long time ago. And, uh, but uh, it has a very interesting uh, quote in it. It is an illustration from Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Joy Unspeakable, which was once described to me that joy is so much that it's unspeakable. In fact, you didn't get it, but I did. I just thought, I'll try that again. Joy is so good that it's unspeakable. No, it's not. It just isn't. Okay, you can't have unspeakable joy. If you're full of joy, you're going to burst, aren't you? Uh, there. You need to wake up with this bit, okay? I need you to get this bit, because you didn't get the book. Okay. This is quoting from Martin Lloyd-Jones from his book, Joy Unspeakable, to describe what happens when the Holy Spirit clothes a person with power or comes on a person with unusual power. He said it's like this. It's like a child walking along holding his father's hand. All's well. The child's happy, feels secure. His father loves him. He believes that his father loves him. But there's not an unusual urge to talk about this or sing about it. It's true. It's pleasant. It's just there. And suddenly, his father startles his child. He reaches down and he sweeps him up into his arms and he hugs him tightly and he kisses him on the neck time after time after again. And he whispers in his ear, I love you so much. Then, holding the stunned child back so that he can look into his face and say it within all his heart, he looks at him, Sit, stands him in front of him and says, you know, I am glad that you are mine. 
Then he hugs him once more, this time with more warmth and affection. And then he puts the child down. And they continue to walk hand in hand. This, Lord Jan says, is what happens when a person is baptized in the Spirit. A pleasant, happy walk with God is swept up into a new level of joy and assurance that leaves the Christian so utterly certain of the immediate reality of Jesus that he is overflowing with praise and more free and bold to witness than he has ever imagined that he could be. The child is simply stunned. He doesn't know whether to cry or shout out or fall, or fall down or run. He is so happy. The fuses of love are so overloaded that he almost blows out. The subconscious doubts that he was thinking about all the time but pop up every now and again are gone. And in the place is an utter indestructible assurance so that you know that God is real and that Jesus lives and that you are loved and that you are saved by the greatest thing in the world. And as this child walks down the street, he can't contain himself. He cries out. He shouts out, My father loves me. He goes out again. My father loves me. What a great father I have. What a father. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. And out of your heart will flow living water. And it will bring life. And you won't contain it. It isn't evangelism. It is life. It isn't programs and it is heart that bursts out. All people thirst, but not all people thirst for Jesus. This morning, why don't you settle that in your heart? Start dealing with God. God has called you not to be a receptacle, but to be a river of his life streaming out. Why don't you settle that one in your heart too?